It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne. We're syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Wenigle and today I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hello Kay, how are listeners? Welcome back from your wonderful holidays. Thank you. It's great to be back. (laughs) It's good to have you back. And our special guest, co-host, Kira Rundle. Hi, good to be back again. Many people are aware that electricity consumption peaked in Australia in 2008, but not many know that gas consumption peaked in 2012 in Australia. Today we're going to be looking at what's happening with fossil fuel gas and the renewable alternative hydrogen with Tim Forsey. Our regular listeners will know Tim, who's a chemical engineer an independent energy advisor and curator of Facebook groups, Australian Gas Market Insights and My Efficient Electric Home. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. Good to have you here. Good to be here. Tim, the domestic market for gas may have peaked in 2012, but a few weeks ago we had Bruce Robertson on the program and he made a point, scary as it is, that Australia is producing gas, exporting it, and now looking at building import terminals to receive it back for our local market. What do you make of that madness? Yes, the, uh, the use of uh, gas domestically in eastern Australia peaked in 2012, and that's when you look across all sectors, gas being used for uh, electricity generation, gas being used in buildings, gas being used in, in industry. And uh, recently published some research where uh, we've showed that the, uh, the use of that gas continues to decline, and one reason for that being that uh, gas is now very expensive in eastern Australia. So uh, everybody who's been using gas in the past uh, is be or it has been or should be looking at ways to use less gas. And uh, so what uh, with that expensive gas um, and, and in decline, but uh, still there is significant amount of gas used in eastern Australia. And uh, people are finding it, uh, the suppliers are finding it challenging to to find these sources of gas because so much is being exported. In recent times up in Queensland, we uh, were built these large gas export facilities. So most of the gas produced in Eastern Australia is being exported. That's what's driven up the price. And uh, so these days you even do have uh, really uh, crazy sounding schemes where we might be exporting the gas and then importing again just to, to bring it back into the country. So, so these are schemes that are being looked at. Whether they go ahead or not uh, is uncertain. But one thing that is clear is the price of gas in Eastern Australia is very high. But fortunately, there are good alternatives for for industry, for power generation, and for people in their homes to be using alternatives to gas. Such as? Well, uh, talking about uh, in the home, for example, um, what we're finding is that people can heat their houses for as, as little as a third the cost by using a reverse cycle air conditioner to heat their house rather than using uh, the old ducted gas 
We did that in our home a few years ago, and we found that our uh, cost of heating gas, uh, heating our house is a third of what it used to be using using gas. This is because modern uh, air conditioners, reverse cycle air conditioners, or heat pumps, they recover free heat from the air outside your house, pump it up to the temperatures you need inside, and, and bring it in. And that's the cheapest way to uh, to heat your house. Heat pumps can also be the cheapest way to uh, to heat your water. And then you par- partner that with an induction cooktop, and you can be taking your your entire home off the gas grid. Um, industry also has options for using less gas, whether they do it more efficiently or actually fuel switch to other alternatives. And uh, certainly Beyond Zero Emissions recently published a report about electrifying industry, which shows how industries can, can use less gas. Yeah, so it can be done domestically and commercially and industrially. That's right. And then also in the, the electricity generation space, um, I think we're seeing about the, the least amount of gas that's uh, practically ever been used for electricity generation now because it is very expensive and we have alternatives with the uh, the massive build in uh, wind and solar renewable energy that's going on right now. So the amount of gas being used in, uh, to uh, create electricity for the electricity grid is, is uh, becoming very small. So what sort of percentage would that account for? Any idea? Sorry, um, sorry I probably don't have that, that, that number off the top of my head, but one, one uh, statistic that uh, a fellow uh, on Facebook calculated recently was that uh, with all the we still have power stations out there that burn gas to make electricity, but they're being used about 4% of capacity. So with all of these gas power stations out there, um, they only get turned on about 4% of the time to, uh, to make electricity because the, uh, what they're finding on the electricity grid, whatever you can do to not burn gas is a, is a good idea. I just wanted to reiterate and emphasize something that you said a few minutes ago, which is that users can save up to two-thirds of the cost of, that they're currently spending on heating their homes by just switching on their reverse cycle air conditioner in the winter instead of the, the gas ducts. Um, all right, so from a financial perspective, that clearly makes sense. What about from an environmental perspective? Do you know if the carbon emissions are equitable? Some, some time ago. Um, so the organization now known as Renew, but used to be known as the Alternative Technology Association, a few years ago they did a study which showed how much money people could save in their homes from not using gas. When I was at University of Melbourne, we, we published some reports working with, uh, with the Alternative Technology Association, which, which showed, again, how much people could save uh, money by not using gas. And again, uh, Renew has recently updated their work. But back in 2014, they also published a study looking at the emissions. And back then, they found that uh, it was the greener thing to do to not be using fossil gas. And uh, there's a, a, some reasons that uh, that the numbers that they uh, talked about then, it's, it's probably even better and greener to not be using gas for a couple of reasons. One is that we don't really know what is the uh, fossil fuel or the greenhouse gas Im- impact of gas because um, the gas industry does not do a good job of measuring their emissions or, or reporting them. So the only numbers that uh, we have to work with are numbers that are put out by the gas industry, which should be, be scrutinized. And there's every chance, as I experienced up in the Queensland coal seam gas fields, that the emissions from using gas are higher than what the gas industry says. And the other thing is that uh, when you look at the electricity side, you need a bit of electricity to run your heat pumps, um, is that the, the electricity grid just gets uh, cleaner all the time as we build more renewable energy. And also you find in a lot of people's homes that they're putting on their own solar panels. So uh, this is what we see at the Facebook group, My Efficient Electric Home. People are setting their homes up not to use any gas, 
And when you have the solar panels, of course, you can be using your own electricity some of the time to be to be running your heat pumps. So that those folks consider their their um, their uh, uh, use of that energy to be very green. And of course, you, people can also buy green power, which is an, an accredited way to make sure that any electricity you use in your house is coming from renewable energy. The exciting news is that electricity demand and um, now gas demand has been decoupled from economic growth in this area. There's now a lot of discussion about the role that hydrogen can play, and I know that you're a fan of renewable hydrogen. So how do you see the development of hydrogen markets in Australia? Hydrogen is something that at Melbourne Uni we wrote uh, a report about how it could be used to generate an enormous new export industry for Australia, and that would be fantastic. Uh, we have, of course, uh, great renewable energy resources in Australia and uh, ways to store energy and pumped hydro. And from that, you could be generating hydrogen. You could be re- uh, generating the chemical ammonia from that hydrogen. You can put that in a ship and, and send it to countries like Japan, which uh, which uh, have expressed an interest in future in using that, that form of renewable hydrogen. So that's definitely a, a massive new export industry that Australia should be looking at. And also, we need to keep doing research and development, looking into ways to make hydrogen from electricity and to make ammonia from hydrogen, because the costs right now are, are too expensive compared to a lot of the, the other options. But uh, maybe there'll be a technological breakthrough and the costs will come down, and Australia would be well positioned with our great uh, the solar resources and the falling cost of solar uh, PV-generated electricity to be making these renewable chemicals and, and exporting them. So that's a very exciting uh, story for hydrogen. But um, as we were talking about, the, the demand for fossil gas in eastern Australia is falling, and there are companies who uh, supply that gas, distribute that gas, and they're really concerned about where their business is going. They know that we've got Facebook groups like My Efficient Electric Home, and they know there's thousands of people getting their homes off of gas. They know there's people having their gas meters ripped out and taken off their properties. So that's not great when they look at their future business model. They're under pressure to decarbonize, but how do you decarbonize fossil gas, which is essentially chock full of carbon? So what we're hearing about recently all across the country are these gas distribution companies saying, well, here's an idea. We'll put some green hydrogen into the gas grid, and that, that'll make it green. So they are spending some money to build some electrolyzers to make some hydrogen from electricity. And you can put about 5 or 10% hydrogen into the gas grid without having to change anything. People wouldn't really notice. And when they do that, they'll be able to market a, a green gas. They'll be able to say, buy our green gas. You've been able to buy green electricity for a long time. Now you can buy green gas. But it certainly won't be, be cheap. Our gas is already very expensive. This hydrogen will be very expensive. But, of course, it's more like a research project right now. It's being subsidized by the government, etc. Um, but I'm concerned that uh, these gas uh, distributors talking about green hydrogen, it's a bit of a, a Trojan horse. Uh, they're saying, here's a, here's a gift we can give you. Um, but I think like the Trojan horse, it needs to be scrutinized and understand what, what are these companies really doing. And what they're doing is they're trying to get some social license and some validity for their businesses going forward. You've got people getting off the gas grid, and they're wondering, how can, how can we make an attractive story for people to stay on the gas grid? In my opinion, I'm concerned that uh, hydrogen in the gas networks, it's a bit like the story of clean coal that we've been listening to for 15 or 20 years. The coal industry said, don't worry, keep burning coal, and someday it'll be clean and green. Um, and of course, that hasn't really worked out that way. Now we've got the gas industry saying, keep burning gas, and somewhere down the future we'll give you, uh, give you uh, renewable hydrogen. Um, so that's a concern. And the, 
And the point is that uh, today you can heat your home with a reverse cycle air conditioner at much less than using gas. Uh, it's certainly going to be much less than uh, using expensive hydrogen. So you mentioned that um, if we just add about 5 or 10% hydrogen to our gas supply, currently we don't really have to reconfigure um, the current setup. But can you talk a little bit more about some of the problems that arise if you wanted to introduce more hydrogen? That's right. I mean, 5 or 10%, you, you could stick that in there. You wouldn't really notice. But um, folks, including right up to the chief scientist, have talked about how it might be possible to store large amounts of hydrogen in our existing gas pipes and our gas network as a, as a form of stored energy. Because people realize that uh, with uh, the variable renewables, wind and solar, we also need some stored energy to, to get us through the night or at times when the wind's not blowing. And hydrogen is potentially a way you could do that. Uh, right now, recent report published by Dr. Keith Lovegrove for the uh, Australian Renewable Energy Agency talked about a whole diff different ways that you could have dispatchable electricity, which is wind and solar coupled with forms of energy storage, whether it's pumped hydro or batteries, bioenergy, or even hydrogen. And at the moment, hydrogen is the most expensive way to do that. Um, it's not to say we shouldn't do research looking at bringing the costs down, but right at the moment, it's very expensive. The chief engineer in his recent report talked to uh, about how um, hydrogen could be good to stick in the existing gas grid as a way to store energy. But the problem is the large pipelines that go out for thousands of kilometers across the country are made of a steel that uh, can't handle pure hydrogen. Um, the problem is a, a form of corrosion known as hydrogen embrittlement. So the chief engineer mentioned that the, the pipelines would have to be incrementally enhanced, was the wording used in his report. But in fact, what he meant to say was that... The, the, the pipelines that have to be completely replaced. So, so what the equipment you would need for storing hydrogen is very different than the existing gas uh, transmission pipelines. And uh, the chief engineer's, uh, chief scientist's report was was disappointing in that it kind of glossed over those technical issues. So th there was no real understanding of the issues with hydrogen and storage and actually transmitting it. Yeah, the, um, the CSIRO also published a report around the same time, a hydrogen roadmap for Australia, and they were a bit more upfront about the issues of, of hydrogen embrittlement. The disappointing thing with the chief scientist report is um, there seem to be lifted sections from reports that have been put out from the gas industry, and those were just stuck into the chief scientist report without scrutiny. So we really do need to look at the, the future transition uh, away from gas. We have homes that are leaving, leaving the gas grid, and uh, that hasn't really been, been studied in great depth or modeled, so I'm certainly uh, supporting that we need more uh, understanding of how this transition is going to go. But uh, the chief scientist report wasn't that helpful in that regard. So there are more issues with hydrogen than, than the embrittlement itself, aren't there? There's yeah, you can put 5 or 10% hydrogen into the gas distribution grid, and particularly if they've gone down your street and they've replaced the old steel or or cast iron pipes with um, with plastic pipes. Why well, that that stands up to hydrogen pretty well for the gas coming down your street. And so you can put five or ten percent in there. Um, if someone wants to pay twice as much for a green green gas product, well, there you go. You can you can do it that way. When you get above five or ten percent, then you'd have to actually start to fiddle around with your appliances, at least adjust some burners, or, or perhaps have to replace the the appliance altogether. So the hydrogen is a very different beast than methane, which is the chemical that mostly makes up our gas. And so you'd have to make some modifications from that. But um, no one's ever said it's going to be cheap, and particularly in Australia where we've got you know a climate that is perfectly suited for air source heat pumps, reverse cycle air conditioners. That's the way to be heating your homes and heating your water. And uh, 
yeah, hydrogen could have, you know, in the future, hydrogen could have applications for exporting it overseas. And as pointed out in the Beyond Zero report on electrifying industry, hydrogen can also be used in heavy industry in Australia for processing metals such as making steel. So on that very large scale, hydrogen could make sense. But uh, bringing hydrogen down our street um, is not going to be an economic thing to do. So hydrogen is sometimes touted as an alternative power source for vehicles as well. Do you, do you see that as having any validity? The, um, there have been companies such as Toyota and uh, Hyundai from Korea who have done a fair bit of work looking at uh, using hydrogen in vehicles. Now, a hydrogen vehicle is really an electric vehicle because the hydrogen is an energy source. It has to go through a fuel cell where the hydrogen is converted to electricity, and then basically you use that electricity as an electric vehicle in the usual way. And as I say, Toyota and Hyundai put some effort into this, but I don't think the economics are ever going to really stack up um, with uh, compared to just your electric car. Um, one of the reasons that hydrogen had been looked at is because the idea was you'd be able to fill up your car much more quickly with hydrogen than by waiting for hours for it to charge a, an electric car. Well, we've, we've seen good progress in terms of fast charging for electric cars, which is probably a, a, one of the reasons that we won't see the hydrogen really uh, take off uh, in the small vehicle market. Um, it's very complex having uh, a high-pressure hydrogen cylinder in your car and then a fuel cell which involves uh, elements like platinum to turn the hydrogen into electricity and then you have the battery and everything else that electric car has and uh, when you look at it from the energy point of view it takes about three times as much electricity to run in a, a hydrogen car as it does an electric car because the efficiency of making the hydrogen and then converting it back into electricity, well, there's a lot of inefficiencies there and a lot of lost energy. So I think we've seen good progress in the development of the pure electric car, and that's going to make most sense for your average vehicle. Now, you know, for a heavy truck or a, 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 a garbage truck that goes around, um, some very large vehicle where you can put the extra weight of the, the fuel cell and the hydrogen cylinder in there. You know, maybe it'll make some sense for some very heavy vehicles that could be operated from hydrogen, but I don't think we'll see a mass rollout uh, in the small vehicle market. And even organizations like Toyota are now finally starting to go away from the hydrogen vehicle and thinking more about the pure electric car because everybody else is. Well, when you look under the bonnet, it's just amazing. That's a maintenance nightmare. And, oh, well, and, the, and the beauty of electric cars, one of the beauties is that there's very little moving parts. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Tim Forsey, who is an independent energy advisor and curator at Facebook group Australian Gas Market Insights. Tim, you mentioned about um, people disconnecting from the gas grid, the fossil fuel gas grid, um, the same was happening with the electricity grid and, and the general consensus was to stay on the, that grid. What do you think of that with regard to the gas grid? Yeah, I know that people uh, seem to hate their electricity companies and we certainly have good opportunities on Australian homes with the solar PV to generate your own electricity and now a lot of people are having a look at the batteries uh, in an attempt to, to make it so that their home would not uh, rely on the electricity grid and maybe they could even disconnect. But I say to folks, if you want to disconnect from an, an energy grid, disconnect from the gas grid. Um, to get off the electricity grid is, is quite difficult. You're going to need a generator as well, and that generator is probably going to run for some period of time in the middle of winter, uh, unless you have just invested in, in very, very large batteries. 
I mean, I know people that live in the bush who are off the electricity grid, and they'd like to be on the electricity grid, but it's, it's very expensive for them to do so, so they don't. But if they had the opportunity, they would. One of the reasons being that people who are off-grid have very large solar PV systems, and they look at them all summer long, generating all this electricity that's just wasted or not used because you know, they pretty quickly recharge their batteries and use some electricity, and there's nowhere else for it to go. So staying connected to the electricity grid is a, is a social benefit. It's a way that we can help each other to supply electricity when we have excess or to bring some in when we don't have enough. So I think the, there's good reason to maintain the electricity grid and, and keep it going. Electric cars, more uses of heat pumps. Uh, we're just going to be seeing a lot of reasons to be wanting to to have electricity available, whereas there is no really good reason to be connected to the gas grid anymore. People should be looking at the steps they can take to reduce their gas use and eventually get off gas. The recent study published by the organization Renew, formerly known as the Alternative Technology Association, talked about how people could save like $20,000 over a period of time from uh, setting up their homes to be all electric. So I know that not everybody can come off the gas grid tomorrow. You might have just bought a, uh, you know, a replaced your hot water system yesterday, so you're not going to go throw it away tomorrow. But um, people definitely should have a plan for how they can reduce their gas use at home because they'll save a lot of money. And eventually when you can get completely off of gas, well, the fixed charges just for being connected to the gas grid um, can be three, $400 a year. So that's a, a cost that you can eliminate by, by getting off the gas grid. So getting back to the um, the hydrogen vehicles, I think Japan and South Korea take about 48% of all Australia's fossil energy exports at the moment, and that's about 18% of their primary energy input, inputs coming from Australia. Given that they're leaders in producing hydrogen vehicles at the moment, do you think that that's a market that Australia could take over with hydrogen exports? Japan, in particular, has definitely expressed an interest in having access to what they call clean hydrogen. Um, And I think that some of that goes back to the the Fukushima disaster, the nuclear disaster. Um, Japan definitely has challenges on their electricity system because they've been heavily um, dependent on nuclear. With Fukushima, they had to shut down a lot of their nuclear power plants to reinspect them and to build walls around them to protect against tsunamis. So Japan is very sensitive to electricity use, and perhaps they don't see how they could run their country 100% on renewable energy. So they have expressed an interest in clean hydrogen. And so Australia, because we have uh, exported a lot of energy to Japan over the years, should continue to look at uh, continuing that relationship and exporting renewable hydrogen to Japan. Uh, One concern, however, is that uh, Japan has said they want clean hydrogen, which um, uh, one Japanese company we see operating in Victoria is they're looking at generating hydrogen from brown coal, and that doesn't sound very clean. Um, Again, they talk about how they will use carbon capture and storage as a way to clean up that that hydrogen made from brown coal. But uh, I think that idea... Uh, has many technical and economic challenges, uh, whereas it seems to be a lot easier to just generate hydrogen from electricity like it's been done for a long time. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the safety concerns regarding hydrogen gas? Is that a concern at all? Um, Oh, anything that can burn uh, (laughs) is a concern. And so you need to make sure that you've got all the the right uh, practices in place, whether you're dealing with hydrogen or ammonia or petrol. So I'm a chemical engineer, from uh, from the beginning, 
And I know the uh, the challenges involved with making sure that dangerous materials uh, aren't dangerous. So you just have to uh, make sure you do a good job of uh, putting all the, the practices in place to, to manage it. Uh, electricity itself is very dangerous as well. So uh, we like to have access to energy. Energy can be a dangerous thing if it's not managed properly. But there, there are known ways to, to handle this. You just have to have the right systems in place. Um, Tim, in one of your Renew Economy articles, you listed a number of different companies that have um, overseas interests that are controlling the gas pipelines around Australia. Yes, I'm probably not a, a top expert in all that, but it is interesting to to just look at, you know, in your own neighbourhood, you'll you might be familiar, or you may not even be familiar with the, the crowd that, that uh, distributes your gas, but uh, like in my area, it might be multi-net gas. And so you, you try and figure out who actually owns that. And when you go right back, you find that uh, a lot of this infrastructure is owned by overseas concerns. I can say that in the news just this week, um, there had been a, uh, a uh, proposal that an overseas firm would buy up a lot of the gas transmission pipelines that go for 1,000 kilometers across the, the country. That was knocked back by the federal government as not being in Australia's interest. So, uh, yeah, certainly there is a lot of overseas investment. Um, in critical infrastructure, I, I guess as a chemical engineer, I'm not going to comment if that's a good or a bad thing. One of the things that struck me was, though, that there is one particular company that operates under different company names um, looking at working on those pipelines in various states. Sure. Like I say, you know, it might be multi-net gas locally, and, and then you, you see, well, who owns them? And it's another overseas company. And then you say, well, actually, who owns them? And then you can trace it down and you find, uh, you know, um, it goes back to... To another, to another overseas crowd, which is not very transparent when you look at it from the consumer level. No, it certainly isn't. You did a recent talk at the launch of the Series Eco House in Melbourne and touched on the issue of the capital that householders have t- tied up in gas appliances and the cost and logistics of changing to electrics. You discussed this just now too. The government in the Netherlands is dealing with this in a particular way. Yeah, that was that was something I hadn't really thought about a whole lot before. I was just doing some Googling before uh, uh, giving that speech to the, the Eco House. And you find that in the Netherlands, they've got a, a plan to be decarbonizing thousands of houses every day from now till 2050. I mean, when you look at the economics, and if you do want to decarbonize, decarbonize by some date, whether it's 2050 or 2040 or 2030, you need to get started. And it is hundreds or thousands of houses a day. Uh, for Victoria, we need to decarbonize 350 homes a day every working day from now to 2050, which sounds pretty daunting. But when you look at the last 10 years in Australia, we've put solar panels on 975 houses every day, every working day for the last 10 years. So uh, the numbers are big, but it's all very doable once you scale up to do it. Great. Tim, we've just run out of time, finished on a perfect note. People can find out more about going searching on My Electric Home. My Fish and Electric Home is the Facebook My group. Home. Uh, my name's Tim Forsey, F-O-R-C-E-Y. It's a fairly unique name, so if you Google that, you'll see a lot of the publications that I've uh, put out in the past. Thanks again, Tim. Thank you. We've been speaking to Tim Forsey, who is an independent energy advisor and curator of the Facebook group Australian Gas Market Insights and, of course, My Fish and Electric Home. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to the BZE website and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week.
Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.